The first reading this morning is taken from Psalms, Psalm of David, 139, verses 1 to 18. And this may be found on page 628 of the Church Bible, or hopefully on screens behind me. A Psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O Lord. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This is the word of the Lord. Second reading is taken from John, as you can see, John 16, verses 16 to 24, and found on 1084 in your church Bibles. In a little while you will see me no more, and then, after a little while, you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, 
and then after a little while you will see me. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one would take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I will tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, and your joy will be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Just before I begin, uh, I've got a word from the Lord, a word of encouragement for all those who are moving house at the moment. Uh, there are at least four um, people and families that I know of, some of whom are here right now, and there are bound to be others of you as well. It's that time of year. And the word from the Lord comes in our first hymn today, our first song, and it goes, by the grace of God, we will carry on. Okay? So be encouraged. You will get there. The boxes will be emptied, and you will finally come to live in the house that you have, um, that you have come to. May it be a place of blessing. Well, today completes our summer school of prayer in which we have been thinking about the prayer of waiting. And I can tell you that there has been a huge amount of the prayer of waiting going on for these chairs for the, at least the last 11 years and probably for the previous 40 as well. I'll let you into a little secret. Uh, when I first arrived as vicar, uh, 11 years ago, in my first staff meeting, I gathered everybody around and we had, the, we had the pep talk. And then I said, okay, guys, test of our leadership. We all know what we want. We all know what we're going to do. We're going to change the chairs. Okay, and there was a kind of round of applause because we've been waiting for so long and we hated those chairs and the boxes that always fell out and the Bibles that broke and so on. So we were all ready. Yes, great. It's going to be fantastic. A month later, I came back to the staff meeting. I said, having done my research and my discussions and my consultations, I said, okay, it's going to be quite difficult. Change of plan. Let's not make this a test of our leadership. <laughs> Eleven years later, it has come to pass. And great was the rejoicing. Well, in our summer school of prayer on the waiting prayer, We've thought so far about praying as we wait through the wilderness of our own grim times, waiting through the wine press of our struggles for others, waiting through the night with those who are dying, and waiting through the winter of our own grief. Clearly, it's been quite a difficult summer. Well, I'm thrilled to be able to say on this uh, Baptism Sunday, that we have a much more positive time of waiting to think about. It's waiting for new life to grow, the waiting prayer of the womb. And as we have celebrated particularly uh, Alfie and Theo today uh, and the fruit that has come forth, um, 
we understand how exciting and uh, glorious is the life that comes. And this morning we've been thinking too, not only of the life that has come, but the life that stretches on, that goes on developing quietly and not so quietly through the days ahead. So as I came to prepare this sermon, the obvious question occurred to me. Why me? I haven't got a womb. How can I talk about this? Well, I'm really sorry, ladies. The lot fell on me, and I'm just going to have to do my best. So you can all sit there and grin as you see me squirm like a fish on a hook. At least I can content myself with the fact that Jesus himself used this same image as he struggled to put across something so important to his male disciples. And even more strangely, the psalmist uses this image of the mother's womb to speak of something so unbelievably extraordinary about God's gift of love and life to us. You knit me together in my mother's womb. The maternal womb is a dark and intimate place where future life comes into being. When someone is pregnant, we say that they are expecting. That's a really good word. Full of expectation. Her womb is the place where a waiting mother cherishes into being the seed of new life, which is so precious, so fragile, so beautiful beyond words. Those of you who have already conceived and gestated life within you know that urgent longing to greet the one growing within you. Those of you who haven't yet been able to know what a bitter pill that this can be to swallow. And those for whom this is still in the future understand what a powerful potential lies within you to do something extraordinary and uniquely creative. We men can only watch on in wonder. During gestation, the fetus must grow through each successive stage of development. I was tempted for a moment to start to put pictures up on here, but I thought that might become a little graphic. So, this development goes on without any intentional assistance from father or mother. What an anxious time, waiting, waiting for the child to grow, to be ready to be born, desperately hoping that this new life that is unfurling healthily and strongly through every stage, waiting till at last it's ready to live and breathe and take its life and shout itself to the world. The waiting of the womb requires patience. It cannot safely be hurried. Whatever the boss might want, no one plans to do pregnancy in under 40 weeks. And we know too that it requires effort and discomfort, self-restraint, and eventually the shattering agony of delivery. What can I say to my own mother and to all you mothers here? Except, thank you. And, 
also, it could be worse. If you were a horse, you would have to wait 11 months. And if you're a rhino, just less than a year. If you're an elephant, nearly two years. And if you're a frilled shark, it would be three and a half years. That's an awful lot of morning sickness. And if you're a blue whale, then you would be giving birth to a baby that was 25 foot long, three tons in weight, and required to drink enough breast milk in order to grow 200 pounds a day. It doesn't bear thinking of, does it? Well, some waiting is full of longing, full of so much longing that it hurts. It takes us through agonizing pain and loss till we receive the joy that we have longed for. That's the intense experience of expectant mothers. But it's also the experience of many other people too. On the night before his crucifixion, Jesus said to his disciples, I have fervently longed, longed to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And then he said to them, in effect, and you too will suffer. But while you are suffering, in the darkness of the tomb, new life will be coming to birth. And an inexpressible, inexpressible intensity of joy will burst out and overwhelm you. So that you will no longer remember the labor and the agony through which it came. And so we find that this patient but frustrating womb-like waiting for new life is our experience in many other ways as well. On Friday, I had the privilege of taking my daughter to Leeds, place, the city where I grew up, so there was a bit of a turning circle there. I brought her to Leeds, and there she begins tomorrow her PGCE. Finally. Emily has been waiting since she was three to become a teacher. Since that first moment when she had a younger brother who could sit upright and be told what to do. <laughs> now in the, the early days, admittedly, most of her teaching involved taking the register of all her teddies and James. But in the 20 years that followed, she has become slowly uh, growing in knowledge and confidence and creativity until now she's ready to approach her vocation directly. And how well I remember my own sense of vocation growing within me through years of worship and discipleship and church ministry. An intense longing to serve Jesus and his church formed and shaped by long hours of discussion and prayer and planning, which finally brought me to that moment of the National Selection Conference. And then a week waiting on tenterhooks for them to decide to give me the decision that they'd already made, which was not to recommend me. It seemed as if that vocation had died inside me. 
took another two years to dare to think about it again and a further year to bring it back to the boil. And although the second time I was more anxious about the process, I was also far more sure about the, the longing, the determination inside me that serving Christ's church was all I wanted to do with my life. How painful then, how nervous and desperate and unconfident was that longing to hear the answer yes. And then nine months of waiting. And I noticed that it was nine months for the start of term to begin. Nine months for my vocation to gestate and grow and change my life. Perhaps you've had a similar experience. Maybe it's a, a special relationship unfolding for you. Some of you already know that Jitesh, our previous associate vicar, has met Bridget. One or two of you are suggesting that you hadn't heard that yet. Well, Jit and Bridget are tentatively feeling their way forwards to discover if this friendship is forever, something secret growing inside. Well, if you hadn't heard the last bit of news, you certainly won't have heard the next bit of news, which I got on my phone late last night, that Bridget has said yes. I really wanted my phone to record that response, <laughs> to send it on to him. How exciting that something you can't hurry, something you can't see, grows and comes to such an exciting fruition. Or perhaps you have a dream of the life that you want to live, or the world you want to see, or the work that you long to do. Or perhaps there's a novel germinating inside you. Or maybe it's the seed of God's presence that has been growing quietly, unexpectedly within you to fully formed faith. Or perhaps you sense a calling to help plant a new congregation or to go out on the mission field. Or to put it the other way around, perhaps you recognize what is true, that Jesus has a calling for each one of you. Each one of you, he is calling to something which grows out of all that you are and all that you have become and all that you have learnt and experienced. Something exciting and significant and unique and possibly unexpected. That's just for you. But it may not happen today. A butterfly can't be helped to escape from its chrysalis. We know this. We've watched it on YouTube. It has to struggle out for itself. Because if it doesn't, it will not have the strength of wings to allow it to fly and it will die. It has to do it on its own. And any of you who have brought up children or taught children will know that children too have to develop through all the denials and the constraints and the struggles of the world to enable them to grow in strength of character and grasp of the world so that they can become 
all that they are designed to be. Every job has got its trials. There are always those boring bits, aren't there? Every ability has its repetitive exercises that we have to do first so that we gain, grow in strength and skill. Most people, we discover, I discover this particularly watching my children, most people can't drive a car and take a driving test the first moment that they get behind a driving wheel. That's strange, isn't it? Muscles have to grow and neural pathways have to develop. We can't short-circuit what happens in secret. Our identity becomes secure in secret in the intimacy of God's powerful love for us. Our faith is purified in secret like silver and gold through the trials that we endure. Our character grows rich and, and strong and enduring in secret in those secret times of testing. Our calling awaits God's right time. Whether it's pregnancy or it's discerning vocation or it's developing character or bringing vision to birth, the days drag by so slowly, don't they? We just wait and wait. I've told this story before. I just love it so much. Any of you who've had small children will know that moment when a child comes and joins you planting a seed in, in the ground. And uh, for Emily, it was uh, tomato plants. And she could not believe the next day that we didn't have a tomato plant already. And then, of course, when we finally did have a tomato plant, she couldn't believe it had got tomatoes on it, given how much she hated tomatoes. <laughs> this is terribly frustrating to us, especially in our world, in our, in our way of living when we're accustomed to being in the driving seat, to everything happening immediately, all the time, when we want it, having what we want right away, not having to wait to afford it, not having to wait for it to, to be delivered, this can be really disconcerting, discouraging to be forced to wait. It can make us irritable and resentful, I know. But there just is no way to hurry the womb. We have to wait. And as we wait, we learn some things. We learn patience and we learn humility. We learn that the most precious things in life are a gift from God. They're not ours to own. We're forced to slow down. We live life more intently, intensely. We ache with that exquisite tenderness that tension between what we already have and what we don't yet have. Paul says, creation itself is groaning with longing, with expectation, waiting to be set free from its bondage to decay. Paul goes on, and we too groan inwardly as we eagerly wait, eagerly long for that moment when we are adopted as God's children and receive the redemption of our bodies. We're caught in this in-between world, between the now and the not yet of Jesus' kingdom, of the hope that's within us. And we ache with longing for it to come into being. 
and for us to enter fully into all the joys that we have already tasted. Well, Paul goes on, who hopes for what they see? You can't see what's in the womb. But if we hope for what we do not see, Paul says we wait for it with patience. And as we wait, we pray. And these prayers are the most wonderful, hopeful prayers. We pray naturally for the life that's within us or, or within the one that we love. Whether it's a fetus or it's a dream or it's a vocation or faith itself or development in a child, we pray for its safety, whatever it is, for its healthy and right development within the womb. And as we, are, as we are praying, we are also noticing what's going on. We're noticing, aren't we, those, those first fluttering signs of life. Just think of the farmer's anticipation. A little, little bit more experienced than my daughter's, waiting first for the shoot to come through the soil and then for the blade, of, and then for the ear of corn to appear and finally for the full growth of the seeds. Behold, Isaiah says, the Lord says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Noticing makes that anticipation come real. It lets us celebrate and give thanks for what is already happening, going on unseen. And we also pray for the time that's to come. We pray for it when its time is fully come. Not our preferred time, but the right time, God's time. And we pray for all that that time will bring forth, for all that will come to be, for this new life, for its potential and purpose, for the joy that it will bring. And we pray to, for God's blessing to be upon it and through and around this new life, going before it to prepare a place for it, coming afterwards to protect it, coming above it to inspire it and underneath to uphold it and alongside it to accompany it and lead it into all that the Father has designed for it. What glorious prayers these are that we have the privilege of praying. Before our children were born, Rachel and I found ourselves praying for their spouses and for their children and for their grandchildren. Obviously, we have no idea what will come in their lives, but we just prayed with all that longing for all the good things that would come to them and through them into the world, for all the life and joy and fun that would flow from them. And as I prayed for my vocation, you can be sure that I prayed too, not just for myself, but for all those who would hear of the Lord Jesus through me, and who would come to faith through me and who would, who would pass on faith from me to other people as well. And whilst we're waiting and praying, there is something else that we are doing. It's unnoticed even by us. We are slowly and quietly in a hidden way nurturing the life that's within us, giving of our blood and our energy, our soul and our strength to help it grow. If we feel tired, which I guess we often do, it's a sure sign of all that we are giving of ourselves to this new thing. 
that's secretly growing. And while we're waiting for this new thing to happen, we need to keep, keep giving the best of ourselves to it, not poisoning ourselves with alcohol and drugs, with despair and godless talk and godless pictures, but rather nourishing ourselves with, rust, with trust and with rest, with hope and with love, so that we in turn can nurture what is inside us, what's growing within us. And then finally, we will have the glorious gift of naming what has come to birth, of recognizing and declaring it before the world. What joy that is. As the psalmist says in our first reading that we heard, for him it was his own physical life, known and loved by God even in the womb. For the disciples... It was resurrection, new life. It was growing secretly and quietly in the tomb and would be recognized by them as Jesus stepped out to greet them. So here are my questions for you this morning. What is the Father growing within you? What are you praying for to come into being? What are you noticing about that as it grows? How are you praying for it? And how are you nurturing yourself so that you can nourish its growth? What will you have the joy of naming and of declaring to the waiting world? I want to finish with a blessing on you all. May the God of all grace, who called you to follow his Son, Christ Jesus our Lord, establish, strengthen, and settle you in your faith, defend you on every side, and guide you in truth and peace, and give you the joy of receiving and declaring to the world what he has put within you until he welcomes you into his eternal glory. Amen.